dynamic morning as we continue looking through the characteristics of godly love. Uh, this will help you this morning uh, if you allow the Word of God to do so. And so I pray that for the next few minutes, uh, you'll put any preconceived notions, any distractions of, of busyness of life at bay for just a moment. Just allow the Holy Spirit of God to teach our hearts this morning. God is an incredible God, and I'm thankful He has taught us and teaches us how we can love like He loves. And what an incredible thing it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse number 4, we'll read all the way through the verse number 8. The Bible says, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Father, I'm thankful for your incredible word. I'm thankful for how your word teaches and guides our hearts. And God, I need your help this morning. I need your wisdom. I want your mind. God, I pray that you would please would fill me with thy spirit. Fill me with your power. God, I pray that you would give me unction from on high this morning as we look at the word of God. Thank you so much for charity. The working of love the action of love just as faith is the action of belief and hope god we truly can act upon godly love and i pray that you would help us to do so this morning teach our hearts help us to love like you love us in jesus name amen you may be seated this morning we like to attribute many feats and accomplishments to those who make those accomplishments, do we not? We all are familiar with the book, the Guinness Book of World Records. And it's amazing how many different records, all kinds of different records. Who can blow the biggest bubble out of bubble gum? Who can make the biggest uh, circle with their arms? And I mean, it's all these little things to who can make the longest uh, 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 shot on basketball, uh, score the most goals uh, in a certain amount of time on, the, on a soccer pitch and so, or, or football pitch, and on and on we go. And there's just so many different feats that are recognized around the world. We like to do that. We like to see those extraordinary things and, of course, recognize them as such. We think of some incredible feats throughout the Word of God. We think of Noah building an ark. Incredible that God would use this man to build an ark to save mankind. We think of Abraham, the father of Israel, a man who followed God and sojourned as a stranger, as according to his own testimony. We think of Moses who led the Israelites. Now hundreds and hundreds of thousands upon tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people through the wilderness. Incredible. We think of Saul 
who was the first king of Israel. And truly setting up a kingdom and truly beginning that foundation of setting up a kingdom that, of course, would continue. We think of David fighting against a giant named Goliath, slaying a giant with a simple stone coming from his sling. We think of Elijah, who of course prayed and fire came down from heaven, consuming the altar, consuming the sacrifice, and consuming the water that was drenched on the altar, on the sacrifice, and even around it. We think of Daniel and the lion's den. On and on we could go. Incredible feats, incredible accomplishments, incredible things in which God used many, many people. We look at love. It is the greatest thing that this world so earnestly uh, craves and desires. But where did this love come from? Where did this love originate? Who was the one that authored this greatest thing in the world? Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to 1 John chapter 4 with me, please. In 1 John chapter 4, would you notice with me verse number 7? The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. Notice this statement, For love is of God. Who is the author of agape love? Who is the author of a charity, a love in action? Who is the one that was the one that created or, or did this feat or made this accomplishment, if we could say it that way? And that is none other than God Himself. God is the one who truly authored. He is the one who truly gave and originated this agape, selfless, undying, or truly caring love for man. It truly came of God. God is the author. He is the originator of this love. Notice how John continues. And everyone that is born of God and knoweth God, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. You see, God truly manifested, God truly showed that love. He demonstrated that love through charity over and over and over again. But the greatest act of charity that this world has ever seen is Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Jesus Christ being born of a virgin birth. Jesus Christ, God himself, living that perfect life. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ doing what we could not do by paying for the sins on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ who paid for us He did what we could not do. The greatest thing, the greatest act of charity that this world has ever seen was done by God Himself. God is incredible. He loves us beyond words. He is our loving God. There's no one like Him. And He demonstrated it like no one else could. He gave a charity 
he acted upon this love to appease the very wrath of sin. Notice what John continues to state. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. This type of charity that the Bible is speaking of here is not a type of charity that acts because we're loved. That's how the world acts. You love me, so I'll respond. No, charity is a decisional love that chooses to love even if you are not loved. That's the type of love that moved God to send His Son. And sent His, uh, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What an incredible portion of Scripture. That word propitiation simply means appease or satisfies the wrath. We as sinners deserve wrath. We deserve justice. But God was willing to pay for the wrath of justice by sending His Son to be the one to pay for our sins. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter, thinking and focusing upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and even the crucifixion of Christ, may I recall our minds to how Jesus Christ was even brought to trial. The Pharisees and the scribes wanted to crucify, wanted to rid the world of Jesus Christ. And when the offer, when the offer was presented to either crucify Christ or to release Barabbas, There was one that was chosen. Barabbas, imagine, was in prison, rightly and justly. Imagine every time as he was in prison, he heard the keys unlock the prison doors, thinking, this is my time. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to pay the price for my sins. Every time he heard someone walking, troops or, or, or soldiers come down the walkway through this prison, he, of course, would be reminded that his time is coming, and justly so. But then Jesus stood trial. Innocent God himself. Holy God of Israel. And they chose to crucify Jesus. But watch this, that was the will of God. That was what God chose before they even chose it. God knew what they were going to say. God knew what they were going to cry out. Jesus took Barabbas' place. You see, Barabbas should have been on that cross, but instead of Barabbas being on that cross, Jesus Christ chose to lay down His life in the place of Barabbas. 
just like you and I, we deserve to be on a cross. We deserve a horrible, eternal death forever and ever. But God Himself suffered all of hell on the cross of Calvary. He took our place for us just as He took Barabbas's place. Barabbas should have been on that cross, but instead Jesus Christ took Barabbas's place. And that was the propitiation, that was the appeasement, that was the settlement of wrath. God himself paid the price for our wrath. He suffered the wrath for you and I so that we may go free. The Bible never tells us what happened to Barabbas. We don't know if he knew of Barabbas before, or knew of Jesus Christ before he entered prison, before he committed the crime. But he certainly heard that Jesus Christ took his place. Certainly the news filled his ears of how God himself took his place. We don't know if Barabbas ever trusted in Christ. But I could only envision how his heart may have felt as he thought that innocent God was paying the price for his sins. Paying the price for him. He took his place. He took my place. That is love. The Bible doesn't tell us Barabbas went to the hill of of Golgotha and thanked Jesus Christ. Barabbas may have truly just left immediately thinking, hey, I've got to get out a free jail card. I'm out of here. We don't know. But Barabbas went free because the Son of God took his place. And as a child of God, when I accepted salvation's good news, I, like Barabbas, go free. What an incredible thing it is that God would choose to love us Not because we demonstrated love to him first, but because he chose to love us first. In spite of what my sins would do to his son. What an incredible God. He loves. That is the charity that God truly gives. Notice how John continues in this portion of scripture. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another no man has seen god at any time if we love one another god dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit i want you to call your attention back to that one phrase that we see spoken of and we speak it in a a factual time but as john gives context here the holy spirit spoke to my heart about something that phrase no man has seen god at any time we look at that and we understand the fact that no one has looked upon god the father at any time in fact the bible says no one can and live he is that holy he is that pure he is that clean We could not survive. But then John, notice as he's speaking of love, 
says, but when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God dwells in us. That statement right there in between the love of God, I believe as we see the context of Scripture, John is stating no one has seen God, but they see the Spirit of God in us when godly love is demonstrated. When we choose, choose, it's a choice, a personal decision, just like you personally chose to receive Christ as your Savior, you must personally choose to yield your heart and life to the leading and the, uh, the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God and the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to have that charity that is of God. You see, I can't love Like God wants me to love without Him. And I must choose to yield my life to Him. I must choose to yield my will to Him. I must choose to yield my spirit to Him. And as I yield myself to God, as I say, God, love through me, God says, let me enable you. When I was 16 years old, I began working at a wonderful place called McDonald's. We're very familiar with that, amen? They're everywhere. McDonald's was my first job even prior to getting a car. Now, my parents lived nine miles at least, it was probably closer to ten where McDonald's was, to my workplace. I could not walk there in time every day. I needed a way to get from home to work. But I just started this job. I didn't have any money. It's an amazing thing about work. They don't pay you before you work. You, they, work they pay you after you work, amen? And I needed money. I didn't have a car. I had no way to get there. And so I did what every 16-year-old would do. Dad, may I drive the car? <laughs> My dad would say, okay, you can have the car, go, go to work. And since I did not get my first paycheck yet, Dad, I need some petrol <laughs> for the car <laughs> so I can get home. And I remember him ta- reaching into his pocket and pulling out some money and says, here you go. There was a job to do, but I could not do it without the enablement of my father. And I could not do that enablement without the resource or the power that my father could offer. Such is the case with godly love. We cannot love like God wants us to love without his help. This is where grace comes in. When we choose to yield, when we choose to give our life to Christ, not only in salvation, but in godly love, godly love truly is empowered by God. He says, let me give you the car. Let me give you the petrol for the car. Did not Paul say, when I am weak, then he is strong? 
when I look and say, God, I can't love that individual like you love that individual, God says, let me give you grace. Let me give you the keys to the car. Let me give you that petrol money. Let me give you the enablement and the resources you need to be able to love like I love. Love is a choice. Agape love is available to all today and God truly yearns and desires for us to love like He loves. Charity is love enabled through the Spirit of God through His amazing grace. But what does this charity look like? What are the characteristics? How do I know if I have this charity love, if I'm acting in godly love, if I am choosing to decide to love like God loves. In verse number four, we looked at it last week. Notice how Scripture gives us. Charity suffereth long. You remember that means enduring patience. That means patience with someone even though I am at odds, even though there's a tribulation, even though there's a difficulty, I am enduring to be patient in love. Paul says, and is kind. That word kind, once again, to recall our minds, means to become warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, and sympathetic. Thank God He's gentle with us. Thank God He, in His credible love, was so warm-hearted and so sympathetic towards us. God loves us with great love. That love suffers long. It's enduring in His patience. It is kind. Notice Paul says, it envieth not. Again, let's remind ourselves that envieth not speaks of that which embraces both jealousy and envy. It's when used of man that the distinction is this, whereas envy desires to deprive someone of something, uh, someone of something he has, jealousy desires to have that same sort of thing for itself. In other words, it's looking to say, I want that and I'm working a plan to get that from you. I'm going to take what you have. I'm going to have it. Love envieth not. It doesn't choose to do so. It chooses rather to be giving and to be kind. And we'll see that again in just a moment. Charity vaunteth not itself. That word vaunteth not itself, reminder, becomes, is to become boastful or exhibiting self-importance. It's speaking of bragging. We would call this a braggart. Someone who has to have the attention upon himself, upon his talents, his skill set. He's got to be the spotlight. Paul says, is not puffed up. That word puffed up speaks of literally puffing up with air like a balloon. Look at me. <laughs> flaunting ourselves, flaunting our abilities, flaunting who we are, and knowing that it's all of God. Knowing that I am what I am by the grace of God. Charity is not puffed up. It goes out to do its kind deed and then retreats in the shadows. 
in verse number 5, notice how Paul continues. What is charity? Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. Those words, to behave itself unseemly, literally speak of to behave unbecomingly. It means to not behave in keeping with accepted standards of what is right or proper in certain culture or certain social groups. In other words, it's talking about an appropriate behavior. Godly love seeks to have appropriate behavior in all situations. It speaks of seeing what is recognized and is right in even different cultures and being willing to set oneself aside to do that which is acceptable even in another culture that is ethical and right to do. You understand that there's a lot of preferences that we do here in our culture today that is truly that, just preferential. There's nothing biblical about a lot of the way in which we treat ethically one another today. It's what is accepted in the culture. Does it mean it's wrong to do? No. Unless it's contrary to the Word of God. But as long as God says... There's, or do, do, doesn't give us something that uh, our principle or a uh, command not to go against or to go against a certain uh, a certain uh, uh, cultural practice, it's okay to adopt that. We enjoy tea time here. But if you were to go to Germany, they don't have tea time like we have tea time. Does that mean they're right or they're wrong and we're right or we're right, wrong and they're right? No, no, no. It's a different culture. There's a different mannerisms. And there's a whole set of ethics around proper tea time, is there not? You go to a proper tea time and the, all the different teas cups are out and all the different platters and nice finger sandwiches and the edi- and the etiquette and how you are to ethically respond during those times it's unique to this culture charity looks to behave right whether you're here or whether you're in the deepest parts of congo witnessing to those who have never heard of tea time It seeks to do that which is right. It seeks to behave itself appropriately in all situations, in all manners of life. Go to Genesis chapter 39, if you would, with me, please. As I thought of this, the Holy Spirit of God reminded me of a man in which truly epitomizes this very thing. In Genesis chapter 39, we see a man named Joseph, a son of Jacob, a man who truly would be sold into slavery by his brethren, by his brothers. We see the sale and we see what happens after he is sold in slavery in Genesis 39. Look at verse number one with me. 
And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an, Egypt, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Joseph chose to act appropriately. Joseph chose to demonstrate the godly charity by acting appropriately, even in a time and in a place in which he did not want to be. He was enduring patiently, was he not? He was truly was being kind. He truly was not, uh, was not uh, envying one another. He was truly was not vaunting himself or puffing himself up, but he rather chose to act appropriately. He chose to act seemly. He chose to be appropriate in such a way that God put him in favor of Potiphar and he was given charge over his house because of how appropriately he acted. But not only did he act appropriately, even in a situation in which he was sold as a servant in a Potiphar's house, but even when things went sideways, even when things went in a direction in which he did not anticipate them going, where he would be falsely accused and put into prison, look at verse number 20 in the same, uh, same chapter, please. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to, prison, uh, made it to prosper. Wait a minute. Not only did Joseph act appropriately when he was sold as a servant in a Potiphar's house, but now when he's in prison, he chose to act appropriately in prison. And God blessed him. The Lord was with him. Why? Because he acted with charity. Charity acts appropriately in every situation. Look at Genesis chapter 41. We see Joseph once again seeing a different situation. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment, and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, Pharaoh, of course, gives the dream to Joseph. Joseph interprets it. Go down to verse number 37. I want you to see this. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all his servants. 
And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph acted appropriately in Potiphar's house. He acted appropriately in the prison, and he acted appropriately in front of Pharaoh. If Joseph chose not to act appropriately before the Pharaoh, Pharaoh would not have made him ruler. And it happened just like that. Because instantly Pharaoh could tell that the Spirit of God was upon him. Instantly he could tell that there was something different about this man. Instantly he could state that there was something about Joseph that emanated, that demonstrated the very image of God, and he understood that the Spirit of God was in Joseph. He acted appropriately, and God blessed his charity. You see, charity will behave appropriately at a graduation, a wedding, or a funeral. It'll show little things like a, like a congratulations to the school graduate. Give a compliment to the bride and groom. It knows how to comfort the bereaved. It knows how to act appropriately or learns how to act appropriately in all situations. That's godly love. It learns to act appropriately. Godly love sees a situation and says, how do I act appropriately in this situation? One ought to know and to desire to behave at the door of a stranger or standing before the queen. One should yearn to act seemly. Love moves one to act appropriately. Let's continue through verse number five. Seeketh not her own. It doth not behave itself unseemly, and it seeks not her own. Keep your place there in Genesis. We're going to turn right back there. What does that mean, seeketh not her own? It's speaking of an inward look. It's speaking of getting for myself. It's speaking of a selfishness. It's speaking of wanting for myself and looking to see how I could have that for myself all consumed of one's self 
In Genesis chapter 13, look at verse number 14 with me. We see Abraham and Lot, his nephew. We see in this situation there, God has blessed their herds, God has blessed their work, and their, uh, their, uh, their herdsmen are beginning to battle over water and over pasture. And Abraham chooses to act quickly. He doesn't want to bring any strife to his nephew or his relationship. He doesn't want the strife to continue among their employees. And the Bible teaches us that Abraham acts. And how does he act? The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abram, in verse number 14 of Genesis 13, After that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it thee. And Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. God had given Abraham all the all that he was looking at, all that he was seeing. And the Bible teaches us, we're not going to look at it for sake of time, but Abraham offered Lot a portion of the field, and he was offering a portion of the field that he knew God had already given him. He knew God had already given him all that he had seen, all that he had looked upon, even the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he looked to his nephew lot and said would you choose where are you going to go where are you going to take your herdsmen where are you going to take your your family you choose what was abraham doing he could have said this is all mine god's given it to me you can't have any of it he could have said that but charity prevented that charity would not allow that and so he looked at his nephew lot and said you choose where you want to go you choose where you want to be he was giving him the pick of wherever he wanted to go and lot chose what looked to be the best situation and abram did not second guess he did not try to convince lot otherwise he simply gave what lot chose even though he knew god had given him all the land he knew it was going to be his one day but he was willing to show charity to his nephew a godly love that did not say it's mine but rather said it's god's i like what henry drummond said he writes there is no happiness in having or in getting but in only in giving half the world is on the wrong scent in the pursuit of happiness they think it consists in having and getting and in being served by others. That's what the world thinks. The more I get, the happier I'll be. Some of the most miserable people I know are those who the world says has it all. Some of the most bitter people in the world are those the wealthiest. They're not happy. 
their family struggling. They lay their heads down at night, tears over a broken relationship, a broken marriage. They would trade all the funds, all the wealth that they had for a happy home. The world says, just get, 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 get. And God says, true happiness is learning to give. Charity seeketh not her own. Look at verse number five with me once again in 1 Corinthians 13. Charity is not easily provoked. Please listen very carefully now. I'm going to be very sensitive in this issue. But I think it's as charity, we need to rapture our mind around this. We need to uh, truly seize this principle of charity. This word is not easily provoked. That word provoked means to become incited or stirred up. Speaking especially in one's emotions feelings, or reactions in either a positive or a negative way. Charity refuses to respond on an emotional moment. John Phillips puts it this way. Love refuses to be provoked into a wrong action. Love is not roused to a spirit of anger and bitterness. It refuses to be exasperated, even though it may be justly aroused, or seemingly so. Love does not carry a chip on its shoulder. It is not insulted. It doesn't play psychological games. It doesn't say to itself, I wonder why Mrs. Sniffbetter didn't speak to me today. Or, I wonder why Mr. Blacktooth snubbed me at the board meeting yesterday. Love doesn't know what it is to be irritated over things like this. In other words, love is able to put all the little things that one may give to show an irritation or a a provocation over, and says, I don't know what you're talking about. As far as I'm concerned, everything is good. As far as I'm concerned, everything is right. I'm not trying to pick up on a little signal. I'm not trying to pick up on a little vibe. I'm not trying to pick up, up on a little sideway look and try to make it an issue of something in which it is not. I'm not going to do so. I'm rather not going to be easily provoked. I am choosing not to focus on those things in which the world would pick up and say, she talked to me a little off volume or on a tone in which I didn't appreciate. And because of that, we make up a huge issue in our mind that so-and-so is mad at me or so-and-so isn't uh, 
Uh, is it right with God? I've heard so many different stories over the years, and my friends, we need to learn that charity love is not easily provoked. It doesn't look at things and say, look, I don't, I, 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 I don't like this moment, and I'm choosing to make an issue out of something that is not. Charity chooses to give the benefit of the doubt. Charity you chooses to look for peace. It looks for resolution. It looks for those moments in which there is no trouble, no storm, nothing to disrupt the waters of my heart. You see, godly love calms Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 with me. It's the last portion of Scripture we'll turn besides one, verse number 5. We'll come right back to verse 5 in just a moment. What does charity love do? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see a man that is troubled in spirit. Look at verse number 14 with me, please. But the spear of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of thy servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Look at verse number 22. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took and harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. If we could picture and illustrate love, godly love, it would be that the harp that David played. when that troubled spirit came upon Saul. And he began to hear the music notes from that harp of what would one day be his son-in-law, a man whom he would try to kill in the future. But yet, even in those attempts, David continued playing before Saul. And as those notes played, there was a quietness in the spirit. 
a troubled spirit became calm through the loving playing of a man after God's own heart. Charity is like that heart that plays before a situation that wants to provoke our spirit. Before a troubling of our heart that looks at a look or a tone or a moment in which we in our flesh want to get roused in our spirit or exasperated in the moment and godly love begins to play that sweet notes of melody reminding us that when we provoked God to wrath he sent his son when we chose in our sin to nail the sinless Lamb of God upon a cross, charity said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Charity chooses to quiet the heart. Godly love chooses to quiet the situation and chooses not to become easily provoked. It is a choice, just like it's a choice to say, Jesus, save me. It's a choice. Let me ask you the question this morning. Are we easily provoked? Do we look for little situations become exasperated over that is a mark of godly love not being impregnated into our heart charity looks to calm those situations it looks as I don't know what you're talking about I love them I love that person not because of what they've done to me or for me, but because I've chosen to love them. I don't know what you're talking about. Everything is good. It's not easily provoked. That is charity. That's a hard thing. But watch this. If we choose... God gives grace to calm the heart. You see, I don't have to do this on my own power. I just need to decide to follow Him. And God gives grace to give charity. Lastly, look at verse number 5. Last phrase and we'll be done. Notice this characteristic. I don't know about you, but as I read and think about charity, I get convicted. (laughs) Understand, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to us. (laughs) This is a reminder that all of us have to remind ourselves of constantly. Because the world fights against this. Notice, Paul concludes verse number 5. Thinketh no evil. 
this word, thinketh no evil, or these words, comes from the Greek word loizome, which is actually an accounting term, which means to tally, to keep count, or something in order to determine the sum or total. What does Paul say? What does godly love do? It doesn't keep records of the wrongs that have been done to me. This is convicting. How often does a husband or a wife, in the heat of a moment of an argument, state, you remember what you did then? Don't you forget, I know exactly what you did that back then. I know how you treated me at that moment. I know what you did at that time. And brings up a moment in the past. What are they doing? We are taking this charity, this godly love, and we are choosing to push it out of the situation and state, I am choosing to act in the flesh instead of godly love. And it is choosing to keep an account of the evils. It's choosing to keep tally of the wrongs that have been done to me. Charity comes to a point in which Jesus Christ does. When I come and I say, Father, I've sinned. I've done wrong. And the spirit of Satan, Satan himself and his demons begin to remind our hearts about what wrongs we've done. And we come to God and say, God, I know I've confessed this before, but forgive me once again. And God says, wait a minute. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them. I've chosen to forget them. That is charity. Charity doesn't say, I remember what so-and-so did to me last year, and bless God, I'm going to use it. When that situation comes up and I can get my two, cent, my two pence in, I'm going to use it. Godly love says, I don't know what it is. I can't think of any way in which you've wronged me. It's under the blood of Christ. What sins are you talking about? Charity love, godly agape love, sets a high standard. The standard in which I truly No, I fall far short of, and yet God truly enables us to have His grace. So we're not nursing any grudges. We're not holding any resentment. Because there's no resentments to hold. There's no grudges to muse upon. Because it's forgotten. It's chosen not to remember it thinketh no 
Godly love is convicting love. The world is looking for this love. It's looking for it. Even as we speak of it, we would look, yes, I would love to have this in every relationship. Whether it's work, whether it's at home, whether it's among our own family. I want this type of relationship. I want this kind of love. That love is decisional. And by the way, it's not determined upon if someone else chooses to choose charity. It's us choosing to choose charity regardless if they give it back. And this type of love never fails. It is always fruitful. It is always of God. Let's remind ourselves this week as we go through life to have charity. And we'll continue.